Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On today's episode, I speak with Alan Heron of the Hunterian Bar. Here's what Betsy Bober Pallavi, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about this business. Alan Heron says that it was smooth sailing from day one when he opened in the spring of 2019. He was working with terrific people who knew the ins and outs of opening a bar in New York City. So with his expertise in bartending and his warmth and Scottish charm, he felt ready to jump right in. Hunterian offers so much more than simply being a place to sit down comfortably and ordering a drink. What else it has is Alan. He is there every day of the week, mixing cocktails, educating guests about the world of scotch and whiskey, and engaging in genuine and meaningful conversation with anyone who pulls up a seat in this intimate space. The challenge is understanding his fabulous thick Scottish accent. But when reminded, he will always slow down, just as he did for us while interviewing him for this peppery, potable podcast. Alan, if I could have you please introduce yourself and tell me the name of your business. Okay, my name is Alan Heron. Uh, the business is called The Hunterian. It's a local bar in the Upper East Side, serving local people and the people that work and visit the hospitals in the neighborhood. Okay, and when did you open The Hunterian? We opened just before uh, New Year's Eve, I think it was the 29th of December, 2018. So we're just eight months in. And what made you decide to open a business? So I think if you're in the industry that we are, hospitality, specifically bars, and you've been in it for a long time, you have to make a decision at some point. You have to continue to work for managers who in this city don't necessarily understand the thick end of the industry, or you take it upon yourself to own your own destiny. I was very lucky in that I've worked with people who have other bars, and they do all the background stuff that I would never be able to do. So I'm very lucky to have them and the team, and I just do the front of house stuff here. So what did the process look like of starting the Hunterian? So my partner uh, has three existing, four including this one, existing bars, and he's been involved in other projects. So people who are in the industry that do real estate come to him with opportunities. He came to me, knowing that I was in this neighborhood, asked me my thoughts, if I would be interested in coming in on this one. And I know the neighborhood because I live around here and I've worked around here before. How did you meet your partner? So he has a Scottish bar in, uh, called Caledonia on 2nd Avenue, which mm-hmm. I've worked at for years because there are not as many Scottish people in the city as you may think. Uh, I think we know all of them. Um, <laughs> so I went up there probably about eight years ago, not long after I came here, to you know check the place out. He had some other projects on the go. At the time I lived in Brooklyn, they were opening a bar there. So I was wanting to be involved in that project. You know, I would help out when needed at Caledonia on 2nd Avenue. He subsequently opened another bar in 2015, I think, up in Manhattan Valley called The Hamilton, which was another whiskey bar. I was up there for about two years. And were um, you working as a bartender? Always working as a bartender, yeah. But th- they're always small operations. We have it only ever requires one. So I'm like, you know. Very involved. Yeah, yeah, involved in that. So it's great because you get to see a lot of the parts of the business that I wasn't getting when I was bartending in Midtown. So I enjoyed that. And then they owned a further project called Caledonia on the west side, Caledonia West on Amsterdam Avenue. They had some turnover of staff in the first year. I wasn't going anywhere. So I went down to kind of steady the ship. And also 
throughout these projects, we always try and operate a full kitchen program. And generally, the footprint of the places that we have and the business model, generally, it's a big drain. So we just phased that back there. And then that was in good shape. And it just the time was right for me to move over here. And what was your vision for the Hunterian when the idea came about? So I used to bar 10 years ago in a bar that's not here any longer. It was a local bar called Banshee. And it was a strange conversation, actually, I had with a friend of mine. I don't know if she was in medicine or not, but she was telling me all about this physician from the 18th century, John Hunter, who was the father of modern surgery and, you know, how interesting this guy was. And she said in passing, I think he was Scottish. And then it, it struck a chord with me because where I lived, there was a Hunter High School um, you know, there was a lot of things named after Hunter. There was a Hunter House Museum. And I connected the dots, reverse engineered it, and realized that John Hunter and his brother William were born and grew up like 50 yards from my house. Wow. So I made the connection in my head. And at that point, I thought if ever anything came up to open up a business around about here, and our business model would be very specific as being a bar, I would name it for the Hunter Brothers. So both brothers, John Hunter, well, William Hunter was his older brother, and he went down to Glasgow University first, and then down to London, became a very famous physician. Uh, he trained John Hunter in anatomy, and John Hunter became a very famous physician. And they both collected examples of anatomy. John Hunter left his in London, it's the Hunterian Museum in London. William Hunter left his at Glasgow University, which is the Hunterian. So it's a nod to these guys. Um, I'm not sure everybody in the neighborhood's picked up on it yet. Some people think it's for Hunter College, which is close by. Some people think it's for hunters, generally. I don't know. But that's, <laughs> that, that was the reason that we picked that name. And it all goes back to that conversation I had with my friend in Banshee. But then what were the next steps in terms of making it a reality? And yes, there was, there was a, you know, the seller obviously had a price that they were wanting to achieve. We got together and we decided on a price that we could afford, which we'd have to split between the upfront costs and then the ongoing costs. And, you know, there was a bit of a stalemate for a moment. And then they accepted their offer. And even after that, they were wanting to hold on just to Marathon Sunday, which I believe is a very important day in the neighborhood. So I'm looking forward to that. And then we took over just after. I think we started coming here to check it out in maybe April. And we closed the deal in November. So it was a long process. Mm -hmm. And then we managed a really quite quick turnaround. Uh, we opened within seven weeks, eight weeks. It's a lot of original ceilings. The woodwork, which was there before us, is beautiful. The only things we added were seating at the windows and two communal tables, which are really nice. So the place really looks cozy. So that was great. Oh. Um, so where exactly in Scotland did you grow up? So I grew up just outside of Glasgow, a town called East Kilbride. And how old were you when you first came to the United States? So I moved here permanently at the age of 33. To New York. 35. I lived in Canada and Spain and Argentina over the course of my formative years. But when I moved to New York, when I came to New York, through, I suppose, the soccer team that I follow, I found an instant community. And that's something I had never found anywhere else. I think New York's unique in that regard. Maybe that's just my experience. But within weeks, I felt at home. I felt like I had a network. I felt like people had known forever. Uh, so it was very easy for me to adapt. I want to go back and ask how you got interested in bartending to start out with. You know, how that happened. So I started bartending in 1995. 
and there was an ad in a local paper. I answered the ad. I got a job as a part-time bartender. I enjoyed it. In Scotland? In Scotland, yeah. In the town of Hamilton, which coincidentally is the name of my partner's second bar, the Hamilton. <laughs> but actually no connection there. Uh, and I ended up working there for about five or six years. You know, at that time I knew absolutely everything there was to know about the industry. It's amazing how that happens at the first five or six years. You know everything about the industry. And then as you start to learn more, you realize you know a lot less. Then I, I moved to Spain for a while and then I came back. I reskilled as a graphic designer. And when I got to the end of that course, I started to do an internship and work freelance. I realized I was not a good designer. But throughout, I was working part time in bars. So yeah, I tried to think, what have I been good at? And you know, the thing that I'd always done was work in bars. And then I got a job in a local, I suppose it would be a non-profit sports club. It was a rugby and cricket club. And I worked there for a couple of years, which let me go back to college, because Scotland's great for that. So I worked full-time there, and I was a full-time student for a couple of years doing a course. It was called Licensed House Operations, which was specifically to run a bar. Oh, cool. So that was invaluable. And at the same time, I was effectively running this sports club, which had zero budget. Any money that I generated went straight back into buying stock. So I was, I was over the course of the time I was there, I was responsible for building it up from nothing. We would host events like, you know, 21st birthday party or 18th birthday parties, as you can in Scotland, engagement parties and things in the function hall. I was responsible for getting as many of them as I could because that was our revenue. And then within that revenue, I could buy some liquor and so on the one hand, I was getting the academic side, being at college, and on the other hand, I was getting the real practical side of the realities of the business. And then I went from there straight into a bar in Glasgow, which is, is well known. It's a big soccer bar. It's in an area of Glasgow that, you know, has gone through stages of development. Yeah, I mean, What's the name of that bar? It's called The Brazen Head. It's a great bar. It's probably the, throughout the time I've in the industry, which is 24 years now, it's the best run bar. But, you know, it has a reputation because it's in this part of Glasgow called the Gorbals and it's a big soccer bar and, you know. But, a little rowdy. Um, it can get a bit rowdy, <laughs> but it's so well managed that, yeah, that, that's where I really, after all this time, it's from 1995 to, that was about maybe 2009, that's when I cut my teeth in the industry. That's when I really started learning. Mm -hmm. So at what point would you say you became a partner with, the guy who reached out about the Hunterian versus just being one of his bartenders. Um, what did that look like? I had gone back to Europe for like three months. And when I came back, that was when the Hamilton was opened. So I went up there and I committed to being the head bartender. So I suppose a couple of years being committed to that. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, people see that you're not just there to get the guaranteed income. You're prepared to work at it. So I suppose I did that for a couple of years. And then uh, Caledonia West opened and I... I got the opportunity to go over there and I suppose I showed my commitment. I suppose that's what you have to do. What have you noticed about the sort of bar and liquor community and business here in New York? I think it's um, a smaller industry than we think. When you spend some time in the industry, you find that you get to know a lot of people. There's a lot of connections, uh, which is great. And I would encourage anyone in the industry to, to nurture those connections. And opening the Hunterian up on the Upper East Side, I'd love to talk about this neighborhood mm -hmm. particularly, not just the other bars, but sort of the kind of clients that you get coming in here, the kinds of customers and the kinds of relationships that you have around here. So our business is mostly Monday through Friday. It's very much people that work at or are visiting the hospitals. The weekend's very quiet. We don't open on a Sunday right now. And Saturday's quiet compared to what you'd expect. But Monday through Friday, we get great business. It's mostly healthcare professionals. The people are amazing. 
we do a very nice happy hour. Later on at night, it gets a bit quiet. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's very unique in that I live a few blocks from here. And until we were looking at this place, I don't think I walked up this street. So originally when we opened up, we had planned to make a craft cocktail bar. And I wasn't intended on being here, but we didn't want to open another whiskey bar so close to Caledonia. But we wanted quality cocktails, but you know, not like the bars where you have to have a bouncer or a host making you wait unnecessarily. And then you know, you go in and you look at the menu, and the bartender mixologist has uh, so much in his head, you know, he can't talk to you, you know. So you pick something off the menu, you make some inquiries about the ingredients. You get your cocktails, you taste each other's, and you know you Instagram them and experience over. What we had hoped to do was provide the same quality of cocktails, but for somebody who's maybe just finished their shift and comes in alone, and then they can meet other people. But it became very difficult. I can see why the bars, mostly downtown, have these systems, and that's because the cocktails are very labor-intensive. When you encourage people to complicate a drink, they will, and it can, it can back things up. So people weren't getting... I guess the drinks and the time. It's a shame because we were making outstanding cocktails. So we repositioned the bar as a neighborhood bar, which has elevated cocktail program. We brought in more beers and inevitably I brought in more single malt scotch because mm-hmm. I can't help it. <laughs> Can you speak more about what you have available here? Maybe just highlight some, some of the products that you have? Yeah, I mean, we, we um, over the years I've worked in Caledonia and Going back to when I was in Scotland, we have a lot of connections with distillers, brand ambassadors for distilleries. You know, they have great knowledge and we've done staff training. And what we've done for years is also brought that staff training to customer tastings. So we have brand ambassadors who their level of knowledge is to train members of staff in the industry. But because of our connections, we're bringing them in to do complimentary tastings for customers. So we do that routinely. We bring brand ambassadors in to just do a customer-facing tasting. People are tasting single malts that you can't get anywhere else because people don't really know necessarily what they are. But we have the expertise in that regard. So we like to you know, offer that to our customers. What are some of the other things that you're doing to get people into the Hunterian? So we've got events, we've got loads of events. That's something that we love engaging people with. We've been doing trivia on a Tuesday night since we started. That's very popular. We got a lot of repeat business for that. Uh, we have live music. We um, had that in the spring. We'll be picking it up again in the fall. The place is small. We have 32 seats in the bar. So, you know, we can realistically get in one guy and a guitar, but we've got a very good resident musician. So hopefully that's something we can keep going. Yeah. So we've got all these events. Maybe we'll have some open mic comedy as well. It's just things to engage people and engage people later in the evening because, as I say, I have a nice happier. But then later in the evening, it thins out a bit. I want to give people reasons to hang about. Yeah, yeah. And we don't have a massive PR budget. We don't have any PR budget. So everything that we do is to try and just engage people face to face. Hopefully, they like the place enough that they come back, which I think is the most effective PR you can get. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's not as quick a return as you might get from other avenues. I would say. Have you been using social media at all? Yeah, we've been, I've been trying my best to get the Instagram on the go. So um, yeah, we're up to like 700 followers, which for me is a breakthrough. Yeah, we try and put information out through the Instagram and Facebook with events. So I would encourage anyone to follow us on that. We do have a mailing list, but you can only access the mailing list by coming and seeing me because you know we want this to be a neighborhood bar. We don't want people just to turn up for events and never see them again. Everybody's welcome to come for events, but we're trying to create a network of customers because that's what a bar's about at the end of the day, isn't it? You can have the best drink in the world, but 
if you know you're not enjoying the environment in which you're drinking it then it's not a great drink mm-hmm. we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor creative core after the break we'll be back with the rest of the interview so don't go away Creative Core is a boutique Pilates studio located on West 23rd Street in Chelsea. What sets Creative Core apart from other fitness studios is that they offer an intimate Pilates setting. With only four clients per class, every session is semi-private with hands-on corrections and personalized attention. You won't get lost in the crowd like you can at other large fitness studios. The classes are challenging and fast-paced and the instructors are highly trained with dance backgrounds to guide you through each 50-minute class. With a variety of equipment and creative instructors, your workout will never be the same and you will never get bored. Creative Core also has all the amenities you need to refresh after a muscle-burning, sweat-dripping class. New clients can get their first two semi-private classes for just $38 and 15% off their first package. Looking for a private trainer? Creative Core offers private training sessions on and off-site. Stay up to date on everything Creative Core at Creative Core NYC on Instagram. So at this point, we've talked about a lot of different aspects of the business, and I'm wondering how that work is split up and how much of it is you mm-hmm. and if there's anyone here helping you. So no, at the moment, we're very keen to get through the first year. And I'm also very aware of the other bars, the ones that had high turnover at the start of personnel were hurt because it's invaluable to have the same face, even this one, it's invaluable (laughs) to have it there. So I intend in the first year to be here as much as possible. I think you see a real benefit of that after two years. And do you enjoy coming into work every day? Yeah, Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's a great environment. You know, I have nobody to moan about you know, so I've got nobody to complain about. I've worked in the industry long enough to come into frustrations. You know, you might be coming into a ready-made clientele. You might have people that come in for the food regularly. But, you know, you're coming in, you don't know what, you know. So I like knowing exactly what I'm coming into. But yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'm responsible for everything here. I can't pass the buck. And I guess that's what I've been working towards. So. Mm-hmm. Do you have any specific big plans for the future of the Hunterian, or are you just sort of planning to respond to what you hear? I think so. I think we're just planning to be a local bar. I'm not yeah. trying to invent the wheel here. We're not trying to like you know knock down the building next door and expand. Okay. We just want to be a neighbourhood staple that is known just for for you know our own pride. It's known for delivering quality and be a friendly space to everybody. What have you found to be the biggest challenges of having a new business in New York? The biggest challenges, I suppose, I mean, as a, you know, when you're here six or seven days a week, you see a lot of things that you want to change or add to, convincing the other investors and partners to see your vision because, you know, they're not here and they're only, I suppose, interested in the bottom line. So it's satisfying what you know or what you think is going to make a difference to the customers and balancing that with what the investors will accept. But I mean, that's great to have those checks. It's good to do that because, you know, if I was left to my own devices, I would be spending money all over the place, getting unnecessary kitsch. The place would look terrible and there'd be no more money and we'd be out of business. <laughs> so it's great having those checks, but that's something we have to be aware of. Yeah, I imagine that it is helpful to have the responsibility spread out a little bit, you know, especially where money is concerned. Yeah. I would never have been able to do this because I procrastinate terribly (laughs) and I would never have done any of the paperwork. Yeah, I mean, 
it's great that we found a role for me to be involved in this project as a partner. And it's only come through hopefully showing myself to be trustworthy to the partners. And that's the only way to get into it. Because as you say, a lot of people save up capital and, you know, they'll go into a project and they don't have the expertise and, you know, you'd be as well thrown away. So it's good to, good to have partners that have skills that are different from your own. That'd be advice I would give to anyone that's trying to put together a team to open a business. So I think we run a pretty tight ship. We've put together a, a team of, of players, basically a team of two, two players that have different things to bring to the yeah. equation. So I'm curious, what keeps you here in New York City as opposed to wanting to run a bar, you know, back home in Scotland, yeah. which is a country that's notoriously appreciative mm. of, you know, alcohol and bars. Right. Yeah. Well, New York City, um, there's just such variety here. I really struggle to leave. You know, even if I'm away for a couple of weeks, I feel like I'm missing out on stuff. And also, as much as the drinking culture is part of Scottish culture, when you're on the other side of the bar, it's not the same appreciation of a drink. You feel like there's an entitlement to a drink. When I go back there and I see people that work in the service industry, and if you ever visit there, you'll see the standards generally are a bit lower. And you can see why. I, can, I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know how I did it for as long as I did. So if I um, chose to or had to go back to Scotland for any reason, I would have to find another line of work because I've been spoiled in New York. Well, sure. I'm wondering if you have any big takeaways from working in hospitality for so long and also studying hospitality that you think would be helpful for others working in hospitality to know. That's just my experience. And my yeah. experience is that you treat everybody the same. You treat everybody well, but you treat everybody the same. Especially in New York, you can't have preconceptions about people. You know, you, you go through the steps of service and, and then let them engage you in whatever way. And then trust in your own experience because people will tell you what your place needs. But at the end of the day, we do this all the time and we go out as well. People have their own experience of visiting places and it can be limited. But what we should also do is visit other places ourselves. Go to as many places as you can, see what other people are doing, and network within the industry, make good connections, and keep friendly with everyone. Because, but apart from the fact that's, you know, that's what you should be doing anyway, but um, furthermore, it's absolutely invaluable in this industry. It's hospitality, right? We're trying to you know, make our lives easy from having cordial relations with other people. And that's not just so we're remunerated, that's so we are in an environment that we enjoy. This could be a, a touchy question, but I, I hope won't be. But there's an Irish pub mm -hmm. on this block. How's your relationship Great. with them? Yeah, Great. yeah, uh, they, they're really handy. We can help each other out where possible. They'll come over and help out. You know, I'm talking about specifically like last week there was a beer tap dripping. I wasn't here. You know, text the guys to come over and help out. On a Tuesday, I've been known to close a little bit early when <laughs> they have live music over there. Uh -huh. um, yeah, we've, we've had good relations with them from the start. Um, and we offer something a little bit different. I, we don't get much crossover. You know, the staff will come over and I'll go over there, but I don't get many of their customers coming in here. So it's good. I mean, I've always been of the opinion that the more licensed premise you have in an area, then the better. It brings people to the neighborhood. You know? And if we were alone in this neighborhood, I would like it less, I think. So it's great that they're there. I really like them. So let's, let's do um, some shout-outs for your cocktails mm -hmm. and menu to start out with. Yeah, sure. Um, we change up quite often based on fresh ingredients that we get in or syrups that I make. You know, so it can vary, but we have some staples on the menu. We have the penicillin, which is a blended scotch-based cocktail which has fresh lemon, ginger syrup, and honey. 
and it's got a little float on the top of Laphroaig, which is a smoky single malt scotch. That's very popular. Along with that, our household fashion is well received and we did a good few taste tests on it. We've got a couple of unique cocktails as well. We have one called the Glasgow Kiss, which is made with a fortified wine, which is brought in from Glasgow and triple distilled, triple aged single malt, also from Glasgow. That would be, our, I suppose, our blue chip cocktail because of the ingredients, which has a lot more than we would for anything else. But I would say that would be from the cocktail point of view, that would be our unique ones with the single malts. We have maybe 25 now at Caledonia. They've got 10 times that. So, you know, we've got a bit of catching up to do. But we are slowly building up, you know, when these guys come and do a customer tastings for our customer, they thank them, we bring in the product, and that's how we will expand the range. I'm here six days a week. I am familiar with single malts, so I don't have to do staff training for anyone else. Over and above that, we've got a good range of beers. All our beers are craft beers, I suppose you would call them. But they're all quality beers, and we do good deals on them for happy hour. And we don't have any bottle beers because we like to turn the kegs. I don't want to get a beer in and then have it sitting for three weeks. You know, if you go into a bar that maybe has 40, 50 beers, that's great. But I'm always suspicious about the one that's been sitting there for two months, you know. So we try and turn our kegs as much as possible. And you have a food menu as well, right? We do limited food. Uh, we'll hopefully maybe branch it out in the fall. We can bring in some hot options. But right now we just do uh, like guac and chips, sharing items, cheese plate and stuff. Nice nice sharing stuff. Um, Yeah. Cool. So um, we recently did an interview at Ryan's Daughter, which is a pub that's been there now for over 100 years. One of the owners who we spoke to has been there since the 70s, and then the most recent owner started working there in the 90s, I believe. And we were talking to them about how the drink culture has changed Mm -hmm. in New York in in particular, and Stoney, who's the original owner from the 70s, he mentioned that it used to be typical that people would come in and drink a lot, and Mm -hmm. the the role of the bartender was to get people to drink a lot. And Jim, who's the current sort of head of the house, said that that's something that has changed a lot Mm -hmm. in his time and that now the goal isn't so much to get people drunk, but to give them, you know, a high-quality product, high-quality experience, and as the bartender to have good relationships with the people Mm -hmm. who come in. Can you speak more about that? Yeah, I mean, um, I understand both philosophies being of the vintage that I am I'm very much of the generation and the background they would appreciate going to a place where you can get nice and toasty and not feel self-conscious yeah Yeah. or anxious or whatever about it so I appreciate that but um, I think that is definitely changing I think I don't want to be responsible for someone's hangover so I also don't want to be involved in any conflict management or all of these things that happen when you over-serve people I don't think you can do it anymore I think the culture is certainly changing so you don't have to if I'm treating all the customers the same, I'm treating everyone with respect, which means if I'm over-serving somebody, somebody else's night's going to be affected by somebody who I've just been responsible for their getting overzealous. So going hand-in-hand with treating everyone the same really means trying not to over-serve anyone. Yeah, I think the drink culture's changing. I'm certainly of a generation that appreciates a good bucket, as we would say, but um, I would not want to do that anymore. The other thing is as well that we have to remember is we're not necessarily always the people that get people drunk. People can come in to your premises seeming completely sober because you have a short interaction on you till you get the drink order off them and then you put that drink down and maybe what's happened before catches up on them. So you don't want to be serving people too rapidly. And that all comes down to just engaging people 
everybody that comes in the door, you want to engage them. You want to engage them anyway. You want to know who's coming in your bar. You want the feedback from them. You want to find out a little bit about them, that maybe they're comfortable to tell you, that maybe this person over here has something in common, and then that's how you're networking with customers, and that's how the bar becomes what it's meant to be, which is more than the building or the drinks or me. It's the people that come into the bar and call it their local, you know? So that's what we're working towards. I would say that, that you really get a real breakthrough of that after two years of hard work. You're not necessarily going to see it right away. But I feel that we're making really good progress here because we've got something of a captive audience with the hospital people here. And that's what we're working on, just getting them in here. But hopefully coming into the fall or in the holiday season, we'll maybe get some parties and people who might not otherwise find their way in here mm -hmm. or come in here through a party. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're by the river and we're off the avenue. But, you know, we have to work a little bit harder to bring people here. And we don't work harder by getting people hammered because it doesn't serve either of us in the long run. I want people to feel like they're a good time and come back or at least have it foremost in their mind to tell other people that they've had a good experience here. So I understand from your conversation last week with Betsy that you are getting married in a year. Mm -hmm. yep. What's up with that? So yeah, we're getting married in Scotland next July. My fiance's found a wonderful place in the highlands of Scotland. So it's a destination for everyone, even my family. She is of a large family. Her father's one of nine, her mum's one of five. So she's Ooh. a bunch of cousins. And then um, I think they're all gonna go. So Is she American? She's, she was from Connecticut. Her mum was born in Cuba. Um, so they've got a bunch of family down in Miami and I think maybe two of them have been to Scotland before but the vast majority of them have not so we want to show them the best of my country in a small period of time and she's very keen to do that too so we <laughs> went back to Scotland a couple of weeks ago to go through the process you know the traveling process to hit up as many spots as we could and to let her see that you know you can't do them all in one day. So uh, yeah, we're going to take them all on a big bus from Glasgow through the Highlands up to the estate which we have booked. We went back and we met with a lot of florists and the florists recommended us people to do the chairs, which I did not know was a thing, but there you go. So then they recommended us someone to do the plates that go under the plates. So we have, uh, <laughs> who, who knew that all these things had to get done? So And who's doing the drinks? Well, the, the, yeah, that is the most important thing. And this is a very important point you raise because in Scotland, it is very unusual to have an open bar. And my fiancé will have none of that because it has to be an open bar. Luckily for me, the Scottish contingent is going to be vastly in the minority in this particular event. And it will mostly be uh, Americans who know how to behave. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was very nervous about doing an open bar in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> People will take advantage of it a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that happening. Well, the good thing from having been away as long as I have now, um, I don't have any acquaintances. You know, like all the people who maybe you work with, who would maybe come to your wedding. Right. I don't have that. I've got my immediate family, people. which yeah. is small, and like the, the five, six guys I went to school with and their families. That's it. So, And they're all responsible. <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I want to... Just say for the record that I love this space and I think well, it's so you. cozy. And I would really recommend for people to come and just spend some time here because the lighting is amazing. The decoration is amazing. It's very genuine and you're great to spend time with. Well, so people you. should come by and meet you. I just wish you could do subtitles on a podcast. I think they'll be okay. Yeah? Good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting pretty good at this accent, you know. Yeah. Practice it every day. <laughs> But I think I'm getting there. I'm almost bilingual. When I go home, they tell me I have an American accent, which is... Wow. Yeah. 
But um, I think that's the charm of the place. It's genuine. It's now a Scottish bar simply because I am Scottish and I am here. And we have some <laughs> single malts to back that up. And hopefully people will come here when they come in, appreciate it, you know, that hopefully they can treat the place like they're local. And, you know, hopefully we can revisit this in a decade and we'll look back on uh, this conversation and, and say it was the start of something, you know. Thanks so much for listening. My name's Ellie, and this has been a podcast by Manhattan Sideways. If you're interested in learning more about the Hunterian or about the thousands of other small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, be sure to check out our website, www.sideways.nyc. Follow us on social media at NY Sideways. See you next time. <laughs>